All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode number four of the Clip Dad Music Podcast with Rob Endo. And this week with my good buddy, Jay Negro. Jay, what's up this week? What's up, Rob? How you been? I've been good over here in France, and uh, you're still over in good old Lin Lin, the city of sin, right? Yep. The good old U.S. of A. Yeah, Lynn. And uh, Lynn's got character. And uh, I lived in Lynn for a couple years. And uh, it's, um, you know, it's kind of got a lot of similarities with like Lowell in that it's kind of got that Milltown vibe going on. Yeah, Lynn's, Lynn's essentially like Lowell, but without the hipsters and like plus 10 to the violence. True that. And it's also on the ocean. It is. It, it is. That's why they almost changed the name to Ocean Park at one point. Wow, that would have been cool. Were getting, that's, yeah, that sounds well, like a much the, fun, the, the, funner place. Well, the reason, the reason for the change was because they wanted to change the name from Lynn because of that whole, you know, nursery rhyme of like Lynn, Lynn, City of Sin. You never come out the way you went in. And they wanted to get rid of that. And then there were but, also some racist ones that I will not reiterate. Yeah, we're not going to talk. We won't talk. We won't talk about that. You can Google that, or better yet, if you don't want to get canceled, duck, duck, go those. But um, yeah, no. But that's why they wanted to change it to Ocean Park, even though, like, you definitely know that there was going to be some rhyme about Ocean Park. Just because you change the name of something doesn't change what you know. <laughs> doesn't change its composition. Yeah, that, that's right. You know, the rhyme would have been like. Ocean Park, Ocean Park, like we're gonna like kill you and make you never, go dark. No, never go out after dark. Yeah, never go out after dark because you ain't I mean, coming back. Because you ain't coming back. <laughs> yeah, not, not even gonna rhyme. We're not even gonna lie. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it, well, it's funny because like the other night I was uh, a couple of Fridays ago I was playing uh, Call of Duty Modern Warfare, the newest one, newish, newishish one, I guess with a, a couple of friends and um, a couple of friends on uh, the, the online, the interwebs, online gaming. And, you know, you're playing the game. I, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure, Rob, you're, you know what Modern Warfare is. You know, it's an FPS. Oh, yeah, I've played those, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, like, I have my headset on and, like, you know, I'm hearing bullets whiz by and whatever. And all of a sudden we stopped and we're in the games lobby. And all of a sudden I hear, like, off in the distance, probably about three blocks from where I live, like, pop, 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 pop. And they could hear it. It was loud enough for them to hear it through my headset. <laughs> and some of these people are people I don't, like, I know them, but I don't know them well. And I was like, oh, well, I'm playing Modern Warfare, but I guess Modern Warfare is happening outside. Yeah. In, in the neighborhood that you live in is actually not bad. It's like a good like community kind of neighborhood. People look out for each other for the most part. And uh people just yeah, more like people leave each other alone. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, like but I mean I've seen I've seen some stuff here, but it's not that bad. I mean there were worse places in the Boston area. Yep. Salem's Salem's on the thug life come up, so we'll see how that goes for them. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> And, you know, it's like, um, so, uh, folks, I know Jay from, uh, going back probably like 15, 16 years back, something mo probably, well, more like, uh, 18 years ago, roughly 17, 18 years ago. Uh, I met Jay in college and we had a common interest in music. So we did some, uh, recording over the years 
uh, together, and uh, we just always had this common bond over music. So when I started this uh, this website, clipdad.com, this royalty-free music website, I'm like, well, Jay's always doing instrumental stuff, electronic music, acoustic. He also does plenty of stuff with vocals. He's in various bands, this, that, and the other thing. He'd be perfect. And then, um, and then I thought that I remembered that he had like this cool character, Vampire Werewolf, and so uh, that he released electronic, almost like chip tuny 8-bit music on. So, and I thought that that music would be perfect. So uh, I got a piece of art from my friend Joe Blackwood. Folks out there, check out Joe Blackwood's art. And it's just like this werewolf. He draws werewolves almost exclusively. He draws other stuff, but like werewolves is his specialty. He's a, yeah. He's a, he's a, he's a werewolf-centric artist? Yeah, he's a, he's a, a were artist, basically. And he's, a, he's one of these people, he actually kind of thinks he's a werewolf a little bit, too. Like, he, like, oh, he's one of, I mean, I mean, like, if you described him as a wear artist, do you mean like he can only create a full moon or something? No, well, like, right. Well, I mean, I guess he would do that, but only if he wanted to like look at the artwork and turn into a werewolf, then he would do that. Uh, so I don't think that, that, no. that's, that. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Go on. Yeah, I mean, what, what would what would kill a wear artist exactly? I mean, silver bullets will do, or silver will do a werewolf in, but like, what would go out like? I don't know. Yeah, like a bad, you, a you, bad review. Right. I was gonna say you accidentally put like garlic like in his paints, but that's that would uh, be that would be a, a, a vamp artist. That would be a vamp artist. Yeah. So he drew this perfect picture of like a werewolf with almost like vampire fangs. And I'm like, oh, dude, that dude's perfect. Can I have him for my site? And I'll give you full credit. And much to my surprise, he was like, yeah, go for it. So Jay's character is Vampire Werewolf. And he creates awesome electronic music with some great like werewolf slash vampire art attached. So we'll check out a first track here. And um, we're going to check out Viewtron by Vampire Werewolf. And then we'll talk a little bit about the track Viewtron.
side, we just heard Viewtron from Vampire Werewolf, a very like 80s sounding electronic track. And uh, what inspired that one? I don't know. I just, I'd seen this. I, I, I used to do a lot of like going on, like everything is terrible.com. Uh, where those, those, those cats over there, they, they take like old VHS tapes. They take old advertisements and they kind of cut everything together and they make these weird collage videos. And, uh, and they, I think one of the things was actually advertising something called the Butron or the Butron might've been an old type of VHS kind of, uh, technology, you know, like the JVC Butron. And I just thought, like, for what I was making with the Vampire Werewolf brand, I was like, oh, that'd be a cool name for a song. And so I kind of started messing around with um, – that was one of my early forays into using Logic to create music. Butron, that's what that came out of. Uh, there's a song – I think there's a song uh, called – I think we have, I think I called it uh, Dracula Drive that, uh, that also has kind of like that same vibe. That I kind of put together around the same time. But that was like my, my, when I had transitioned from using, like the earlier Vampire Werewolf stuff was all done in like FL Studio, in, in a less than licensed version of FL Studio that I had and I had been using since like the early, early 2000s. Cause like, and that's where that stuff came from. But as I had transitioned to get myself like a Logic uh, Pro rig on a MacBook, uh, that was like, Butron was one of the things that, was one of the first things I used doing that, using that technology instead. Cool. And I'm reading here, Jay, Viewtron was an online service offered by a company or something called Knight Ritter, not Knight Rider, Knight Ritter, R-I-D-D-E-R, and AT&T from 1983 to 1986. And what did it do? It's a video tech service. I don't know what that means. Uh, It's like some kind of phone, like, not a video thing, but like some kind of online phone system. So here in France, we they ha- actually had a computer that like went online in like 1983 or like 1981. And I forget, the, it yeah. was called Tel- Telex, I think, something like that. Oh. Uh, maybe not Telex, maybe it was something different, but uh, very interesting shit. So it's funny that that was just kind of vaguely in your mind. And w- when I look up images of this, Jay, it totally has that yeah. 80s kind of like... It's color graphics on the screen, but it's got that total like vapor wave almost like look to it, you know? Yeah, I mean that, that's I I know I got it from like in everything is terrible collage. That's where I got the name, and I must it must have been an ad or some sort of like PR material they had for it that they were cutting from to make it. Um, it's funny because like I don't know if you ever you ever check out everything is terrible dot com. Uh, back in the day, yeah, totally. But they, I mean, they're essentially, they were like negative land with video, <laughs> you know? And uh, if you've ever listened to that stuff. But um, I'm not overly like, familiar with that, but I do like, you know, just that whole 80s vibe with like the VHS, uh, like the warm color saturation, the uh, like in music, you know, when they use that like tape warble that you'll use from time to time. I like that whole song. Yeah. Yeah, so it's a cool, it's a cool sound. I mean, nowadays, like that was probably I want to say like twenty. It, it was around twenty thirteen ish, probably when I did that track. Because the, the earlier stuff, like I said, was on like done on FL Studio on a PC. 
and it was just using like my MIDI keyboard and like a rec, uh, 808 sampler, like an 808 patch and, uh, and a, you know, a retro synth patch and just doing everything and looping everything through that to create that more like chip tuny sound that's that you'll see on like the other tracks, like on the, the stuff that's on the record called death to the sun or EP called death to the sun, which actually, I don't know if I've ever told you this Rob, but that, EP that Death to the Sun EP was actually composed and recorded all during Hurricane Sandy, literally within a 48 hour period. Cause I was just stuck in because of that. I didn't have anything better to do. That's why Vampire Werewolf was born. It was a funny name and that I'd kind of been kicking around with for a while, which actually I think I intended it to be like some sort of stoner doom band that I never got off the ground. And then Hurricane Sandy hit and I had nothing better to do but sit in front of my PC and mess around with FL Studio or Fruity Loops for people who know what that is. And is that when you came up with the brilliant song title Frankenstorm? Yes, that is when I came up with that brilliant song title. And we're going to check that out right now, Frankenstorm by Vampire Werewolf.
All right, we just heard Frankenstorm by Vampire Werewolf, written and recorded during Honey Hurricane. I almost said Honeycomb Sandy during hun- Honeycomb Hurricane. <laughs> during Honeycomb Sandy. Speaking of '80s nostalgia, like written and recorded with Honeycomb cereal. Uh, no, but um, during Hurricane I Sandy. Go, I can I could go for some Honeycomb cereal right about now. Yeah, me too. When I was a kid, uh, honeycomb cereal, actually, the big thing that we were obsessed with in the early 80s, you're a little bit younger than me, but uh, the big yeah. thing that we were obsessed with was in honeycomb cereal specifically, you could send away with like two bucks or something. It was well worth it, believe me. You could send away for an actual license plate that had your name on it or whatever you wanted to say on it. Oh, that was that was a thing? Yeah, that was a thing. So you filled out a little form. You just you got a stamp. You mailed it away, and then they would have uh, you'd send them two bucks like cash, and then they would mail yeah. it because we didn't have like credit really back then like the way that we have it today. And so then you would uh, they would mail you back uh, this little license plate that said your name on it. And uh, I had one of them, and of, of course I was innocent, so I just had Robbie written on the back of it, and then. Uh, you know, but if it was today, like I'd totally get like fucko or something. <laughs> you totally go. You drop the full F bomb on it. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I go. I go something like that, like 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 shit, shit brains or something stupid. Something funny <laughs> something like, that. Something like that. But you know, when when I was a kid, it was just like in the early '80s, things were so magical. Um, I was a member of the Night Rider fan club, and. You know, it's probably not cool to like get a bunch of kids like addresses, but basically, um, for my birthday, my parents set me up with the uh, the Night Rider fan club, which I think cost them about ten bucks a month. So it was kind of insane. And that's that's like exp- that's expensive for that time too. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. So what they would what you would get? I wish I still had this shit because I, God knows how much it would be worth today. Because what yeah. they would send you every single month is literally like a dossier filled with every mm-hmm. new development that Kit would have. So like if Kit would have like a new like like uh, oil slick like on the sides this time, if it would shoot oil from the sides instead of like just a yeah. traditional like spy hunter oil slick from the back, like it would have yeah. that. And it would give you like the schematic for it or whatever? Yeah, yeah, and they were real. So like, um, like, uh, my dad like checked it out, and he's like, he's like, oh, these are like real. Tra- uh, was he a Trans Am? He's like, these are like real Trans Am schematics, you know. So like, basically, they would just take the real schematics for the car, like the the engineering plans, and then they would just tack on shit that obviously would not be realistic to like put on the car. Like, here's the oil slick, and then but they don't explain like how the oil actually gets to. The uh, the the jets that squirt out the oil slicks. Yeah, because well, they, they they didn't want they didn't want people making improvised oil injection valves coming out the top of their cars. <laughs> yeah, et cetera, et cetera. There's no way that you could have. At one point in Knight Rider, Kit actually had an ATM machine in it. Did he? I, I don't remember that. Yeah, like towards the end, like he could like dispense like cash. So <laughs> But like I mean, like an ATM, an ATM machine is like only works because a bank goes in and refill it, refills it. So was Kit like just counterfeiting money? <laughs> I I don't like, know. Like, or, or, I, or is he is he is, is he the Fed? Was he the Fed? Did he just cause inflation? That he just mints money, I guess. But like, I did. I actually did like a spoof when I lived down in Florida. I did a spoof podcast where I interviewed Kit. 
and he was uh, a complete like degenerate and like and uh, yeah it was just like like kit was like just like like uh, like going off the rails basically and so uh but then like we asked him about his uh atm machine and he's yeah. just like he's like yeah basically like i need to print the money so like uh michael uh michael knight can like go to the strip clubs and make it rain. Like, uh, he would like say shit like that. <laughs> like, it's just like... Did you get like was was did you did you manage to contact Jason Daniels? Could you get him to like, oh, actually talk to you? Yeah, no, I, mean, I did. You know really... I did such a bad like voice job on the. I just used like like audacity to make him sound like a robot, basically. Uh, it, it's messed up because like the voice of Kit was actually Mister Feeny on Boy Meets World too. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah, I, like. You could, especially when you, and like when you really think about it, like you, like you could hear, you could hear it right away. You can't unhear it. Like I don't know about this, Corey. Like <laughs> you know, yeah, once it, you hear it, you can't. It's definitely him, but you can't unhear it. That's crazy, and um, it now I can't unhear it because you told me about it. I had no idea, and like, but basically, like. You know, a lot of people, when you think back, it's kind of like a case of uh, the Mandela effect. Because you think yeah. that Kit sounds like a robot, right? But then when you yeah. actually watch the show, like here it is like 30 years later. Uh, more than yeah. That. So it's it's 40 years later, basically. Well, like 35, 36 years later. And then Kit actually does not sound like much of a robot. He just sounds like a regular like dude, like a prim and proper American dude. Like a John Q. Milk Toast, but then yeah. he's just got a slight affectation on that voice. Yeah, just a little bit. I mean, I think it's when you see like the light, the LED lights at the front of the car go up and down when he speaks too. It kind of adds to that. You know, the visuals adding to the what you're hearing. Kind of vibe. Yeah, totally. And it's you know, and it's like Night Rider, like in the beginning, you know, when he's driving through that desert and stuff. It's got that total like vaporwave, synthwave music in the beginning. And I think that you know you're very influenced of that style, basically. That that's a big influence on your music, right? Yeah, the the synth the synthwave thing. Yeah, the, that, that's like I mean, that's like the synthwave vaporwave seems like much larger now than it was at the time. It's basically everybody, it's just everybody bought themselves like a Juno 6 and wants to be John Carpenter. But, um, which, is, which is great because there's some great synthwave acts out there. Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny. Well, it's funny because John Carpenter, like now, like John Carpenter is an amazing dude, an amazing director. But he just recently got into just making just music. Like what? Six, seven years back? Like where he was just releasing his own records as John Carpenter. It's the same kind of music you get out of his films because the dude, the dude has this thing where he like writes, directs, and scores his own movies. For the most part, is he still like, like making he, movies? He is. He is. Well, like, what's uh, one of his recent music. movies? He, I haven't seen a, mo- a John Carpenter movie uh, in like forever. I forget. I forget. I'm trying to think of. I can. I know there. I mean, he did that cigarette burns hour long short film for the uh, Masters of Horror series, which actually is excellent. Uh, but he actually released a record, literally two, two weeks ago. He released uh, Lost Themes 3, which is like his musical project, which sounds just like the soundtracks to his movies. And it's great. And I think his son's helping work on it. He has two other members of the John Carpenter band now. 
but he started for some reason, like it's funny because he's the progenitor. His soundtrack work is what basically created the entire synthwave scene, in my opinion. And it's funny that now he's jumping into the actual synthwave scene. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of insane. And, and you know, of all those movies, the one, well, I just saw Near Dark for the first time, maybe like five years ago. I never saw that movie before. And it's such a beautiful, amazing dark like it's just such a great movie and i never knew that that movie was so good oh near dark i mean that's a Catherine bigelow movie near, near dark i'm talking about what what did you mention yeah near, yeah no near dark is a cat that's Catherine bigelow she directed that the, but the, the, the zero dark 30 person didn't john's no no not what did i just say near not near dark um I mean, Near, Near Dark is a great 80s vampire movie, man. That's what I'm talking about. That's a John Carpenter movie. Uh, no, it's Catherine Bigelow, man. It's one of, I think it might be her directorial debut. For real? Oh, I always thought that that was a John Carpenter movie. He had nothing to do with that? Nope. He had Prince of Darkness, which is kind of around the same time with that Alice Cooper is in. Alice Cooper plays like a homeless, a homeless crazy person or a houseless crazy person. Yeah, and I will, I will, folks out there, I will always defer to Jay. Like if Jay makes a statement like in I thought like John Carpenter directed it, I don't even have to – I did just look it up. But I don't even have to look it up. I defer to – because he's always right with this shit. So like when I it mean, comes to like – I mean John, 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 John Carpenter is – I would almost say by and large, my favorite director of all time. Like the dude has a run of films that he directed from 1978 all the way to about 1998, 1999, that there is not a bad film in there. Like they just isn't one. Most of them are great. All of them are good. You know, like, so, and, and on top of the fact that he's, usually involved in the writing of the film too. Not always, but usually he's usually involved in the scoring of the film. That makes it that much more incredible. Yeah. That, that's really, he's like a, uh, a total package, you know, but like it probably my favorite one when I was a kid that had the biggest impact on me and talk about a great soundtrack was uh big trouble. Of course, big trouble in little China. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great movie. And you know, it's, it's just so much it's fun. It's not really scary like his other movies. It's it is totally it's terrifying, but like, but it's not. It's a it's a good time action movie that's like a little bit sci fi, a little bit horror, and mostly action. Yeah, it, it, it's pretty much just a goofy action movie, and and the the funny thing that's about that is people don't realize, but like, um, with Jack Burton is not, he's the comic relief. He's not even really the hero. <laughs> the hero's the other, the other cat, uh, his friend, that's trying to get his girl back. That's the real hero of the story. The Asian and maybe, guy, yeah. And maybe, it, maybe, maybe Egg Shen. I forget, I, I'm trying to think of the actor's name, but that, that actor that plays that character is actually in a lot of, um, if you want to look that up and see who, what his name is. But he's actually in a lot of other John Carpenter films himself. Like, he's in Prince of Darkness also. I've never, I've never seen that one. Should I check it out? Prince of Darkness? Excellent. Yeah. It's, it's an excellent film. Uh, it's, 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 it's a weird... It's, it's, it's like... It actually was made, I believe, right after Big Trouble in Little China, which was supposed to be a big-time box office movie, flopped. So he went back to making like these indie movies, and 
uh, Prince of Darkness being that film. It's basically set in this church where they discover that there's like this, like that's where they're keeping Satan locked in the basement, but Satan's not like a formed thing. It gets into this weird quantum physics aspect. Uh, what's his name? The dude who plays Egg Shen, whose name is escaping me right now too. He's in that movie too. Uh, um, right here, James he, Hong. James, well, James Hong played, um, that's David Lopin. Oh yes, that's right. That's Lopin. That's, that's, yeah. that's, that's the bad, that's the bad guy in, um, Big Trouble in Little China. But, uh, Egg Shen is the, the character, but that guy plays the physicist, or the main physicist of the movie Prince of Darkness. And basically, like, this priest goes to him to, like, this, to, to prove to the world that this primordial ooze is actually Satan, and it's starting to take control of, like, all these vagrants that are around the place, which Alice Cooper plays one of them, and they're all trapped inside while the world's pretty much ending. But apparently in the future, people in the future are able to transmit, pe- transmit the people's dreams of the past to try to warn them. And they make up this group called the Brotherhood of Sleep. There's a priesthood called the Brotherhood of Sleep. Donald Pleasance is in it. It's, it, it's a really dark and really good movie. Um, but it was his return to like more indie cinema from Big Trouble in Little China. But when you get into John Carpenter's career, it's basically like it starts, it, it starts with Assault, Dark Star, and Assault on Precinct 13. Those are good movies. But it really, for me, starts with Halloween. Oh, sure. And talk Halloween about movie. killer soundtracks. It, it, I mean, come on. The theme song. Yeah. It's, it's iconic. And that's, that's a John Carpenter composition. And if you take from, he goes from Halloween, I think the next film he did, the next horror film he did was uh, his remake of The Thing, which is also amazing. Absolutely. Uh, and uh, speaking of horror, horror music soundtracks, maybe this is a good segue. And then save that yeah. thought, Jay. And uh, because we're going to check out Creep Show by Vampire Werewolf.
All right, we just heard Creep Show from Vampire Were- Werewolf, aka Jay Negro. Uh, so yeah, so uh, you were talking about you know uh, the thing and how um, uh, Escape from I almost said Escape from L.A. Escape from New York was sandwiched in between the thing and Big Trouble in Little China. And uh, what's your favorite of those three films? What Big Trouble in Little China, The Thing, and Escape from New York? Correct. I would uh, the best of the three films. I would say objectively is the thing. That's not really my opinion. I feel like that's a consensus opinion. Like the thing is the best of those films. But it's, the funny the thing is kind of outside that because the thing is part of his like John Carpenter has what's called the Doomsday trilogy or his End Times trilogy. The thing is the first one. Prince of Darkness is the second one, and the final one was released in the nineties, and it's called. Um, the in the mouth of madness. Oh yes, yeah, that's a and that's movie. actually like that's tangently they're not really connected, but those films are tangently connected based on theme. They're all about the end of mankind, the thing through aliens, Prince of Darkness through a religious aspect, and in the mouth of madness in a very Lovecraftian way. So I'd see it as different. If I was to choose between Escape from New York or Big Trouble in Little China, I'm going to go with Escape from New York. Because that film, it was at the time, it was like dystopian future done right. When that was a, an era when there was a lot of dystopian future films that were just B movies that were just done wrong. Yeah, and that's yet another extremely scary movie in the mouth of madness, starring Mr. Sam Neill, who's in the most fucking terrifying movies like ever. Like, uh, like people yeah, people don't really like that Omen movie, but. It scares the shit out of me when he's like older, when Sam Neill is oh, Damien. Yeah, is it Omen Three. Omen Three, yeah. It's the third one, yeah. But like, he's also in the movie, this movie that I've never seen, and I always wanted to see called Possession from like '81. It's supposedly Sam Neill's favorite movie he ever was in, and uh, it's it's really bizarre. And like, his wife is having an affair with hit on him with a demon, and he catches them. But it's apparently one of those movies from like that very early '80s. That's apparently terrifying, and even Sam Neill himself has said that's his favorite role that he's ever played. And it's hard to find. I don't know if it's on any streaming services. I, I guess I could look it up on Prime. I know it's not on Netflix, but it, it's one of those flicks that's really, really rad. I mean, John. I could talk about John Carpenter forever because you know, like I said, he, he has a run of like. 20 years of just great films. I mean, they live. Oh, geez. Yeah. With the, with the <laughs> epic just, 10 minute fight scene between Roddy Piper and between, I forget the between other Roddy, 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 Roddy Piper and Keith David. And apparently like they, when they did that fight scene, like they were actually like hitting each other. They were really fighting. each other. <laughs> and yeah, um, that, that movie is kind of like when you look at it, right? So I'm not, you know, I'm not full all in with alternate, I'm going to call it alternative media. Other yeah. people might call it conspiracy theory stuff. But when you do watch that movie and you see kind of what's going on today, like they live, yeah. does seem rather prophetic, you know, uh, what do you it's think? The, it, 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 it's a film that was as relevant when it was released as it is now. It actually, it's it, just because of like the current state, like where we're at as a, as Western society, that film has kind of had a resurgence, like lately. 
<laughs> and um, like it, it there's references to it everywhere, you know. And it's funny because it's just what people thought was a B movie in like '86, '87 when it was released. But it's a great flick. Even Rowdy Roddy Piper, like he's one of those wrestlers turned actors. He does a great job at it. Yeah, I mean, he does he does a very simple job. So he's a very simple guy in the movie. He's a he's an honest like he's he's uh he w- you know, he uh leaves his cards on the table, you know? Yeah, he's just, he's just like an average working class guy that's kind of getting screwed by the system. Exactly. But, and he's yeah, and he's a little but, bitter about it, but he's not like at a bitter well, level where he's like going to go off the deep end, but it makes it seem that way because of the situation around him. Well, because he discovers, like, he sees behind the curtain. And, well, in the funny he's, he's actually like, I believe in America and all that stuff that he says in the beginning of the movie, whereas, like, Chief David's character is way more disenfranchised already. The only thing that, that bugged me out has always bothered me. I love that fight scene, but I feel like that fight scene was so unnecessary. Because, like, why wouldn't you just put the sunglasses on? Like, if you were Keith David, why wouldn't you just be like, if this guy's nuts, I'll put him on and just be like, oh, yeah, just so I can walk away from him. (laughs) Instead of, of, like, fighting this guy over wearing the the Hoffman lenses, you know? Yeah, totally. And how's the music in that one? Did John Carpenter kill it again? John Carpenter did the act. It's very, it's weird. Like, it's like a blues bass. It's different for him, that score. It's like, it's less less synth-wavy sounding. It's more like blues bass, has some guitar twang to it almost like a Western in a way. Oh, wow. That's interesting. Yeah. I, cause I don't, um, you know, I'm like thinking about big trouble in little China and yeah, that has like the Asian music in it, but it also has that synth vaporwave thing going on. Yeah. No, he did, he did, he, he did some of the soundtrack work in big trouble in little China. Like, uh, but I mean, it's like, what other movies did he do? He did memoirs of the invisible man, which people forget about. Never seen it. Uh, with, with uh, Chevy chase. Is it good? He, it's it's a funny, it's a cool movie. It's like it's his attempt at comedy, like almost straight up comedy in a weird way. He did Starman. Oh, Starman with um, uh, don't tell me, uh, Jeff. No, not Jeff. Um, the guy that was in Altered State, William Hurt, right? William Hurt. Yeah, I think it's William Hurt. Is it? Or, William you know, it might Hurt? be Jeff. It might, it might. It might be Jeff Bridges. Those dudes look exactly alike. No, uh, Star, Starman is totally Jeff Bridges. Yeah, yeah it's Jeff Star, Bridges. Starman is Jeff, Jeff, Jeff Bridges. I got but Starman like for a second confused with, like, Altered States or something. Altered States is, is, is William Hurd. Yeah, which is but another like, great the, movie, the 80s, but not John Cobb. I mean, the, the, the 80s, like, 80s, like, genre movies are great. You don't get much better, but... Um, like, because I mean, you have like all the Lucio Fulci movies that came out in like the early, early 80s, like stuff like, you know, The Beyond and uh, City, City of the Living Dead. Those also have amazing soundtracks by yeah. like Fabio Frizzi. Those Italian composers, like they, everybody, all, all those B grade Ennio Morricone guys, you know? <laughs> yeah, which. Anything I mean- that. Yeah, talk about soundtrack work. I mean, uh, R.I.P. I think he died last year, was it, or the year before? But I think it was uh, the year before. Yeah, great, great thing. Uh, you know, I saw uh, Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, which I've seen. It's probably maybe in my top five favorite movies ever. But I saw it in a movie theater here in France in English, which yeah. is great. But what was great is that they had an artist that did all this Morricone 
uh, I shouldn't say Marconi, um, Sergio Leone, rather, themed artwork. And in the yeah. lobby, he had all uh, Good, the Bad, and the Ugly paintings and, like, Once Upon a Time in America and, uh, uh, yeah, and all the westerns, the spaghetti westerns and stuff. And he had this great art thing, and then he did this thing, but it was in French because I live in France, folks. But, uh, yeah, but it was just great. When I saw that movie on the big screen with the soundtrack and the, ah, you know, and all that stuff. Yeah, I was theme just, from like, Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Yeah, and that movie is very colorful, which when you watch it, I always watched it on VHS or on Bravo, yeah. and I never really respected, um, I never even watched it on a big screen. It was always on a small console TV. And when you see that movie on a big screen, you really realize how beautiful uh, movies and like, it's post-Technicolor, but like the, how beautiful those and saturated those late 60s movies can be. Well, it, Italian... Italian cinema was really in the, between the sixties, seventies and early to mid eighties was really good at two things, making Westerns and making horror movies. Cause I mean, you have the good, the bad and the ugly and, and anything that Sergio Leone did, which is, you know, was it duck, you sucker, fistful of dynamite. It's one of his, Oh, uh, I think so. Uh, all the fistful all of the, dollars. The yeah. Fistful of Dollars, but that's like the Man with No Name trilogy. And then you have like all, and they were, they're very focused on color. And then when you get into the Italian horror movies, especially the late 70s, they start focusing more on feel, vibe, and atmosphere than they even care about a narrative. Like all those diary, like Suspiria. Uh, that movie is completely, it, it almost doesn't make that much sense. <laughs> It does. It has like a loosely knit narrative about the witches, but like everything about that movie is making you feel like in a surreal kind of evil fairy tale. Everything to do with the lighting and the color and all that. And the soundtrack for that movie is also incredible by Goblin. The Suspiria soundtrack. Yeah. Oh, it's amazing. That movie is visually amazing and then it's sonically amazing. And I would say, uh, would a track of yours that would maybe kind of be? I know that's a big influence on you is the Goblin soundtrack for Suspiria. Maybe oh, I'm like sure, I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure I knocked off one or two of their riffs at some point. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's no doubt that I stole something from them. So maybe like <laughs> maybe like Loomis would be a good example. Yeah, something like Loomis. All right, next up we got Loomis by Vampire Werewolf. Check it out. We just heard Loomis by Vampire Werewolf, and uh, uh, what inspired that one? 
Uh, I don't know. I think I was just messing around with like an organ modulator, and uh, and I was just playing around with it, just kind of looped it around. I was it, it always that always reminded me of the, the, the that track intermission on Tools Anima. <laughs> it's very similar sounding. <laughs> yeah, which is which is a great. That's a perfect, in my opinion, that's a perfect album. So, yeah, it definitely reminds me of those little, like, in-between numbers on the... In, yeah, like those in-between inter- intermission, like, uh, intermingled tracks. But, yeah, back to what I was saying about uh, Dario Argento and, and, and Suspiria and Goblin. Because Goblin does, did some, like, they didn't just do soundtracks for these horror movies. They did a lot of those, like, Italian gangster films from the time, too. Uh, like the... Quattro Squad or whatever the heck they call it. I, I've never even seen the movie, but I've heard of the soundtrack. And it's funny because another synthwave thing coming back up, even though Goblin's not very synthwavey, I'd say they're more like a prog kind of deal. Like a dark prog band. But they kind of came, because of the synthwave resurgence in like the mid-2000s, all of a sudden they came back as a band again, Claudio Simonetti making more music. To like, and it's, it's made them vastly successful. And it, the thing is, and another thing I've actually noticed when you get the Dario Argento was Italian horror per se, there's been this very recent resurgence in film, I feel, of like going at that atmosphere over narrative approach to filmmaking where everything's very darkly colorful. Like, I can think like that. Have you seen the, that Nicolas Cage flick, uh, Mandy? No, I heard it's great things, but they did re- remake Suspiria as well. But I haven't seen Mandy yet. I heard it's unbelievable. The, the Suspiria, the, the Suspiria remake is, it is what it is. I mean, it was a direct to prime thing. You know, in my opinion, just watch the original. You don't need to see the remake. I'm not going to say don't watch it. It's just very different from its source material. And it doesn't have the same vibe, but like something like Mandy or something like, uh, this movie called VFW that just recently came out or something even like, uh, I watched this Belgian movie, it's not a horror movie, but it's a, it's a crime thriller called Let the Corpses Tan. They all have this vibe, this colorful, almost occulty like vibe that, that very much reminds me of like Italian horror from the 70s and early 80s. Same kind of deal. I mean, when you go into like Lucio, when you go into like Lucio Fulci, it comes into a, a weirder spot where it's more about the gore and the visceral nature of it. And the movie's just abandoned narrative completely. And it's just like watching somebody's nightmare. Sure. And it's like, you know, it's like horror movie can go one of horror movies, rather horror movie soundtracks can go one of two ways. They can either go with that like synthy kind of like, like Stranger Things utilizes that with a lot of arpeggiation and stuff like that. And they do that really well. And in the eighties, they totally did that. Or it can go with more of a droning kind of atmospheric kind of vibe. And, uh, I know what you're saying. Suspiria, I think definitely hit on not only that vibe, but also like definitely like the Moog kind of, uh, synth vibe so not quite you know not like pre-synth wave or anything like that but you know that moog stuff like that late 60s moog uh synth stuff and even if it's just like making usually there's some kind of pulsing thing in the background or something that's going on that did actually influence synth wave yeah no i mean it really is like the goblins the stuff like from the the, the specifically the band goblin is very much like italian prog rock from that era there's a lot of other bands that were like that. And Goblin just being the most prominent. Um, so they, but they believe like they lead into 
that more synthesizer-based music of the 80s. The 80s, things became much more electronic, whereas Goblin was still like a real drum set, real pianos, real Mellotron, real guitar, you know, and instead of just an appreciate, like I said, everybody buys a Juno 6 and they want to be a synthwave musician. <laughs> or they get themselves a Nord nowadays. That's what they buy. But those things didn't exist at the time, so you're right. It's more of like a Moog synth. It's like a mono, like some sort of mono yeah, it's funny because like here in France, I actually bought this crazy like it's not a synth, it's like an organ, but mm -hmm. it's like um, but they had some really here in uh, like France and Italy and stuff like that, which these are still kicking around and they're act they're much more affordable than like Moogs and stuff like this, but there are so many like proprietary synthesizers from like the '60s and the '70s, and some of them are complete garbage but like a lot of them are amazing and um and occasionally when i'm browsing through like the news not the newspapers like the uh they the the equivalent of like craigslist in america they call it le bon Quan. and uh when i'm cycling through this online uh occasionally i will come across these funky like italian synthesizers and i don't even see any french ones it's always italian and you know it's like and they are expensive, but uh, they're they're like usually four or five hundred bucks. I can't afford that, but it's much more affordable than a three thousand dollar synth. Oh yeah, like some new way, like some new age cord workstation. Yeah, exactly. Well, I just bought a plug-in, which the normal price for it is like about a hundred and twenty, but I got it really super on sale. And then I bought a um, it was twenty nine bucks. But then I bought a uh, an expansion pack, which was called 1984, with all these cool, uh, like synth wavy kind of sounds, right? Like arpeggiators and all this stuff. But um, yeah. basically, it's called a Waldorf uh, PPG, and this synthesizer is like the actual one goes for, I think it's like five grand or something crazy like that. Yeah. So to get to get these sounds, and you know, mine my digital MIDI one, it sounds good. It's cool for me. But, you know, but people yeah. online are like, this doesn't sound like the real thing, of course. You know, which, you know, I've played a couple synths, like in stores, like vintage synths, like Moogs and stuff. And it's just like, there's nothing that sounds like that real stuff, you know? Well, yeah, you're not, you're not going to get, like, just a MIDI patch. It's not going to have the warmth of, like, the actual circuitry getting out into, like, some sort of, you know, amplifier. <laughs> Some yeah. sort of live speaker amplifier. And I mean, like, even like I said, the, the vampire werewolf stuff, that's all done with a MIDI controller into like a retro synth patch from like, sure. that's old. That was like old technology at the time. It was probably free, to be honest, when I got it, it was probably freeware because I was, you know, cheap. Well, it, <laughs> sound, it sounds great, man. And uh, I think we should check out Red Canada next. What do you think? I think we should go with that track.
All right, so we just heard Red Canada from Vampire Werewolf, a.k.a. Jay Negro, and uh, uh, what inspired that one? Uh, Red Canada. I just, I think I had that joke of a name kind of kicking around. I, I really don't remember what inspired Red Canada because that was one of the, it was one of the, the tracks that isn't named after like some sort of horror movie reference. Because I mean, there's, a, there's another song, another Vampire Werewolf song called Super Crack, which actually is a reference to Frankenhooker. The Head and Water movie. Oh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like, it's usually usually I I don't know I don't know what was going through my mind when I was writing. I think I just needed like oh I want to make this a five song EP. This riff sounds cool. Let's loop it. Totally. That's a funny. Red Red Canada is a funny title, I guess. I I, like, <laughs> I, I think I, really I think of like the movie Red Dawn with like. Them. I think that's what I, I think I think I think the, the song was really about some sort of worldwide, all at once Canadian invasion. I think that's what I was thinking about. Like I was actually having fevered nightmares about it, and that's what I came up with. <laughs> like Canada is invading the world, or vice versa. Not like... not, not not just the U.S. Like the entire world. Like they <laughs> they, they have they they have cells like everywhere. And they just it's like maple syrup and hockey sticks like everywhere. <laughs> wow, dude, you, you've got a wild and... imagination. Because like as if that would ever happen. And they just they just wake up, and I think that's right. And like it was just it was like a mix of like Canadian um, Canadian based paranoia or Canadian anxiety, and you know, red probably watched Red Dawn. <laughs> and everybody <laughs> like they they tie you down, and they basically uh, force your mouth open, and they teach you to say a all the time. I didn't think of that, but thanks for that. Now that will haunt me for the rest of my life. Yeah, like basically, like they just brainwash you. It's like you got to watch like videos with your eyes. Yeah, uh, they just, t- they just, they, they just, they just make you become extremely, extremely polite. <laughs> yeah. So Jay, uh, what's the future got in store? I don't know. I mean, I'm actually in another, another more rock and roll project called V28. Um, it's like a little more like '70s heavy rock. Yeah, totally, folks. Check out Z28. They got a band camp. They they got a couple LPs and a couple EPs for sale through their band camp. Yeah, we can. I mean, do you mind if I plug the band camps? Go for it. If you want to check out Z28 directly, you can go to nobodyridesforfree.bandcamp.com or uh, fuzzdoomrecords.bandcamp.com where you can get copies of our uh, last CD. Nobody rides for free. Plus, we're working on something new. Something new's coming out, hopefully, this year. We have a new record recorded. Just trying to get it, you know, finished up and polished up. It's going to be called Mach 2. And we've actually gone from being a three-piece to a four-piece. So that should be interesting for everybody to hear. And who was one of the first customers, Jay? I think that would be you, wouldn't it? That would be me. That would be me. I was in on the first EP, one of the first people on Bandcamp that bought one of the first EPs. So check out Nobody Rides for Free and uh, Z28's like really like some high octane music. And you're always doing solo stuff as well. Is there anywhere that they can check out the solo stuff? I've been working on some solo stuff. uh, uh, I got a project out. It's uh, called Knights of the New Oblivion. And that's at knightsofthenewoblivion.bandcamp.com. That stuff's a little bit different. It's different than Vampire Werewolf, and it's diff- definitely different than Z28. Um, it's kind of like, you know, just a different kind of like straight up indie rock, kind of indie rock psychedelic thing. 
I mean, there is some sound, I guess, I guess I'm trying more and more as I work on that project to add more and more like film soundtrack type elements into a basic rock format that really sounded pretentious, didn't it? No, not at all, man. That, that's what you're trying to do. That's what it is. Like, I've heard the music, you know, you give me a sneak peek yeah. at it, and that's what it is. So, like, it's not, you know, you're not like, uh, yeah, no, that's perfectly fine. And so, yeah, man, so it's been awesome talking. Yeah, cool, man. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, yeah, well, thanks for coming. Oh, and I almost forgot to plug my plug my own website. So, so folks, if you're still tuned in, uh, check out Vampire Werewolf on clipdad.com. And the interesting thing about uh, Jay's got like 40 tracks on there. The interesting thing about all 40 tracks is that you can use them in podcasts and videos. So check out Vampire Werewolf on clipdad.com. And until I talk to you probably in a couple weeks or something on the phone, man, have a good one. Yeah. Have a good one, dude. Thanks, Thanks. Jay.